Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Isaiah 49. It should be found on uh, page 1139 in your pew Bibles. It's Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that you would tune our ears to hear it. God, we pray that you would uh, give us ears that are open. Give us minds that are um, made ready to understand, and give us hearts that are ready to receive it. God, that the seed of your word would be planted deep in our hearts and would grow. And would grow, and as it grows, it would change us by your word and by your spirit more and more into the people that you've made us to be, that we would live lives that bear fruit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 13. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out. And to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Turning then to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 36, should be found on page 1611 in your few Bibles. 
experiences. What we mentioned briefly with children a bit ago. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 18. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days later, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Well, if this is, um, this is your first Sunday here, or maybe your first Sunday here in a while, this is um, going to be interesting because today is the end. Today is the last Sunday of the book of Acts, which we have been in for over two years, off and on. And so, uh, but today we're coming to the very end. This is the by far the longest sermon series I've ever preached and maybe the longest sermon series you've ever listened to. Uh, this is actually the 69th sermon on the book of Acts as we've gone through. And so we are coming now to the end. Uh, let's read how this book ends and we'll kind of recap the whole, what he's talking about, what this is all about, and what it's about for us. This is Acts chapter 28 starting at verse 23 and going on to the end. 
As they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ all, with all boldness and without hindrance. So there you go. This is how it ends. So uh, to back up and give us some context for what's going on, this is Paul who is in Rome. This is where he's finally made it. And he's in Rome and he has uh, talked with people. What we looked at last week is how he gathered together some of the Jewish leaders there in Rome so that he could answer these charges that are being brought against him. And they said, we don't even know what you're talking about. We haven't received any charges against you. But we want to hear more about what you have to say. And so that's where he begins. He calls them back together. They get uh, together, uh, and they came in even larger numbers. And it says he witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. This is what Paul has been doing everywhere he's gone. And this is what we see him continuing to do here, explaining about the kingdom of God, trying to let them see all throughout Scripture what, uh, what Scripture has been saying about Jesus. And he's come and what this means for them and for the world. And, um, and his message is the kingdom of God, which if you remember... Hang on. If you remember all the way back, the very beginning of Mark, how he begins his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Good news? Gospel, right? So what is it? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This good news is the good news of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God has come near. This is what the, uh, the Old Testament had been prophesying. When Peter said, we read a little bit ago, that you are God's Messiah. That word Messiah means the anointed one. And this is one that we saw with, uh, with David when Jesse, Samuel goes to Jesse's house to anoint the new king over Israel. Right, to mark out the one that God has chosen to be the king. And if you remember the way that that whole story goes, and he sees this one that looks like a king, and this one that looks like a king, and this one that looks like a king, and God says, none of those. And then in comes David, and he says, that's the one. And so he pours the oil on his head. He anoints him. This is the chosen one who is going to be the king. And what we just read with the transfiguration when he's up on the mountain, Jesus is up on the mountain with the disciples, and God says, this is the one I have chosen. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Uh, listen to him. 
that this is the good news of the, uh, the kingdom of God, is that the kingdom has come near, and that Jesus is the king, and that he is the one person of all the people who have ever lived who should be the king. Because all the rest of us have turned away from God and have done things our own way instead of his way, and that always causes problems. But Jesus doesn't. And so he's the one person who should be the king, and he's the one person who is the king. And this is good news. And so this is where um, <clears throat> Paul's proclaiming this good news, explaining this about the kingdom to people in Rome. That the king has come, that the king has arrived. But he's not like the kings of the world. And he's not like the kings they were expecting. They were expecting another king like the kings of the world. But he's not like that. That's what we saw when Jesus was explaining with his disciples, and they said, you're, you're God's Messiah. That's who we think you are. And he says, yeah, now let me tell you how that's very different than what you think that means. And so the message is uh, that Jesus is going to go to the cross, that he's going to be rejected, that he's going to lay down his life for his people. And in fact, that is the message of this kingship, that in following Jesus, that we would be those who lay down our lives for others. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? To lay down our lives for others? <clears throat> I think so. I do. And uh, we know that Jesus says, you know, the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody goes, yeah, that's what it means to follow Jesus, just to, you know, be a loving person. Okay, but what does that mean? <laughs> and the Bible talks about it in a lot of ways, but Jesus actually sums it all up in John 15 when he says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so looking at it in that context, to lay down your life for your friends, does this mean to die for them? Maybe. But that can't be all it means because you can only do that once. And so there's something that is a more ongoing uh, meaning to this of laying down our lives for God and for each other. And this is what I think Jesus is talking about when he says, in Luke 9 that we just read. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Well, what does that mean if it doesn't mean to die to yourself, to lay down your life for others? This is what it means to follow the true king in his way that is not the ways of the world. It is what we pray when he teaches us to pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? That when we are praying for his kingdom to come, that what that looks like is for his will to be done, not our will. And sometimes what we think it means is for his kingdom to come is for our will to be done in a way. It's not. 
It's for us to lay down our will and to look to him. This is what we read in Proverbs 3 as we began today in the call to worship. That trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. That for him to be the king is a very good thing, but each one of us has our own crowns that we have to lay down. And that's something that has to be done over and over and over again. But this is what is uh, what Paul talks about in his letter to the Romans as being a living sacrifice. That laying down our lives again and again and again. This is what he talks about to the church in, uh, in Philippi. When he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus, who said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we say, okay, so it's just about dying, right? It's just that, that one-time thing that I just have to get it right that one time. And he says, no. Because even as Jesus lived, he was constantly laying down his life. This is a big part of what we see in that upper room scene the night before he goes to the cross when he gets up from the table and he wraps the towel around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And he says, now I want you to go do the same thing. Lay down your lives for each other. This is the context in which he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is what is all wrapped up in this message of the kingdom of God. This is what Paul is proclaiming to the people in Rome. Is the kingdom has come. The king has come and is coming again. And then he goes through uh, law of Moses and prophets trying to persuade them about Jesus, helping them to see that this is what was promised from all the time back and that now he has come and he has been the fulfillment. And what is the response to this message? The response to this message, as Paul preaches this in Rome, is the same response that there always is. Some people hear it and receive it. And some people hear it and reject it. That's what we've seen all the way through the book of Acts. That's what we saw uh, in the parable Jesus tells about the four soils and the seed goes out and it's the same seed, but there's different responses. And this is what we've seen all the way through the book of Acts. And it's what we see now in Rome. It's what we see even today. People hear and some receive it. People hear and some reject it. And then uh, with this as a response, they actually begin to leave when Paul says this one more thing. As he quotes from the book of Isaiah. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. And then he says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. That's what made them leave. That's what they didn't like. 
they may have still been on the fence on this whole Jesus thing, but when he says that this Jesus is not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all people, they said, I don't think so. <laughs> That's not what we were looking for. But that also has been a part of the message, not only of the book of Acts, but of the entire Old Testament. That the people of Israel were God's chosen people. They were chosen for a purpose, and it was for a purpose bigger than for just Israel. And so we see this, we talk about in uh, Acts, sorry, Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abram and says that he, it's through him that all the nations of the world will be blessed. That he will be blessed in order to bring a blessing to the whole world. We see it actually in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. This is a much bigger thing than just the people of Israel. But then as you continue on, we saw that in uh, Isaiah 49, we read earlier. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to bring back uh, the people of Jacob. What is it? Bring back, how does it put it? It says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's the plan. That's always been the plan for to go for all the peoples everywhere. I read a devotional yesterday about uh, Isaiah, or sorry, Psalm 67. It said that Jewish people read Psalm 67 on a weekly basis at the end of the Sabbath. They read Psalm 67. And so this would be a psalm that all the Jewish people that Paul is talking to there in Rome would be familiar with. This is not one of those uh, obscure parts of the Bible that's like, is that really in there? This is one that they know, and they know well. It starts this way. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Does that sound familiar? This is directly tied to the blessing that Moses gives, or that God gives to Moses and says, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the people. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. May make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. This is the blessing that God gives to Moses to tell to Aaron and his sons to bless the people. And so now they are receiving this blessing and saying, yes, Lord, may that be done to us. They remember the what, but they've forgotten the why. But this psalm remembers the why. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that, here comes the why, so that your ways may be known on earth your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God, and may all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Why is it that these people are to be blessed? not only for their good, but for the good of the whole world. That everyone, everywhere, would know the God who has created them and who has called them and who has loved them. This, uh, this is the message. And when Paul proclaims this message and says it's not just for you, it's for everybody, the people who had Psalm 67, who probably had it embroidered on pillows at home. I don't know, maybe not, but 
who knew it well. Yet still they say, nah, this is only for us. This is our thing. It's not their thing. So they get up and leave. But of course, this is a quote that he brings from Isaiah saying, yeah, they're going to they're gonna hear, but they're not really going to hear. They're not going to get it. They're going to continue to harden their hearts against this message, continuing to reject it. You know, I was thinking, how do you see something and not really see it? And the best way that I can explain this, the thing I've come up with, is if I got a piece of paper and wrote down, I love you, and I handed you that piece of paper, you would see it, and you'd understand it. If I took that same piece of paper and written, I love you, and I show it to my dog, my dog would see the same lines on the paper that you see, but he wouldn't understand it. Seeing and understanding are different. And, what, and the same thing, hearing and understanding are different. And so these people had seen and they had heard all of the stories from the Old Testament. They'd seen the way that God had been working all the way through, but they had not understood it. The difference, of course, between the illustration of the dog <laughs> is these people had every opportunity to actually see. I think there's a better example of this if... Uh, have a copy of The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. It's, it's worth reading. But uh, at the very end, there is a, a chapter entitled, uh, How the Dwarves Refused to Be Taken In. <laughs> they weren't going to be fooled by anybody or anything ever. That's one of the things that the dwarves in this story pride themselves on. And where it comes back to bite them is at the end of the story, whether they go through, and this is all this magical world. You've got to just follow along here for a second. Tell it briefly, but you should go read it yourself. Uh, there's this stable, and everybody goes through the door of the stable, and on the other side of this door, it's not like a stable anymore. It's now a wide open space. There's a field, and there's blue skies, and there are fruit trees, and everything is wonderful, wonderful. And they look back, and there's just sort of a freestanding door frame there. <laughs> And as everybody's enjoying this wonderful place, they notice that there's this group of dwarves that are kind of huddled up together, and they go over, and they're trying to figure out what's going on with these guys. And as they're there, they start noticing that they are convincing themselves that they, none of that exists. They still believe that they are inside a dirty old stable. And so uh, even though people <laughs> they get brought uh, this wonderful feast, and as they're eating these amazing things, they're saying, ah, can you believe we're just eating these old turnips that we found in the stable? <laughs> so drinking this amazing, uh, wonderful wine, they say, ah, can you believe we've been brought to the point of drinking old trough water that a donkey's had before us? And so the people who are watching this are just, what is going on? And the explanation given is that is they have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison. And so afraid of being taken in, they cannot be taken out. I think this is a good depiction of what 
uh, Luke tells us is happening there at the end of uh, Acts as Paul is trying to help people to see. But just like Isaiah prophesied, some people will refuse to see. Even when it's right there in front of them, will refuse to see. And uh, we read Hebrews this last week in our Read Scripture plan. In Hebrews chapter 3, this is the... Um, This is the, the message that comes again and again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because every time we hear the message and we say, no, we make it harder the next time to say yes. And eventually, there won't be a next time. And so the constant encouragement and the constant refrain is today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You do not want to be one of those who is ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. You do not want to have calloused hearts. So then, last two verses. And the question, of course, we have is, so what happens to Paul, right? So what happens? And Luke doesn't tell us. We know from outside sources that Paul is eventually executed. Um, Whether that happens here at the end of this two-year stay in Rome or whether he's released for one reason or another and then later finds himself back in Rome and executed, it's a bit fuzzy. But Luke doesn't tell us on purpose because Luke is not telling us about Paul. This is not the story of Paul. This is the story of the spread of the gospel. This is the story of the word of God going out to all nations. This is the story of what Jesus said at the beginning in Acts chapter 1. He says, well, you'll be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit comes on you. And uh, in power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here, there, and everywhere. And what we have seen is that is what is happening. So when we get to the end, we don't find out what happens with Paul all the way through to the end of his life, but here's what we hear. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The whole way through the book of Acts, we've seen people who have tried again and again and again to stomp out this movement, to stomp out this message, to keep anybody from hearing it, from receiving it, from applying it, from living it, from spreading it, from telling it, from sharing it. They want it stopped. They want it ended. And yet it continues to spread all the way to Rome, and now even in Rome, it's continuing without hindrance. And so as I said at the beginning, it's the end of Acts. That's the end of the book of Acts. It's the end of this sermon series. But it's not the end of the story. Because this same message 
that was continuing without hindrance at the end of Acts is the same message that is continuing to spread throughout the world today. That is continuing to change lives where people are receiving Jesus as their personal king, Lord, Savior, who are continuing to lay down their lives for God and for others, and who are spreading this message by word and by deed. It has come to El Dorado. It has come to us. And we are those now, like those who have gone before us, who have received this message, who have been blessed with this new life, but blessed to be a blessing. Received not to be an end in ourselves, but now called to lay down our lives for others, to share this message, to continue to share the good news. Here there, and everywhere. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.